Welcome to the Crone's Porch, Magic, Witchcraft, and a Liminal Approach to Magical Faith. This is your grandmama's podcast. In this episode, we talk about ethics, morals, and their application on the pagan path. Woot woot. Hi, Ian. Hi, Carl. How are you? I'm good. I am well rested. It is 2024. And it's snowing finally. Mm-hmm. First <laughs> snow of the like real snow of the season, sticking snow and Yeah. I mean it's January, which makes me a little depressed about climate change, but you know. I know. I'm like, oh man. Worse storms, but less often, but also bad. Mm. Climate change. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, agreed. I'm better rested than usual. Um, I just had my 28th birthday the other day, so. Clap, 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 clap. Woo, crowd cheer. <laughs> and yeah, things are chugging along. Um, I've got, I'm part of two local pagan groups now, working towards the CTP. Just got my like clergy training mentor. Woo. Um, oh my goodness. Who you've heard on the podcast, Jan Day, Reverend Jan Avende mm-hmm. from Druids and Cars, going to festivals. <laughs> I love that. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to work, but I'm trying to see it as like, I make money and then I go do the real stuff in my life. I'm not trying to stress myself out about work. So, yeah, honestly. Um, and let's see, 2024, I've done my prosperity magic for the year, uh, which is good. I think this is an interesting time also, because my prosperity magic for this year is a lot more focused on like, uh, job confidence i guess mm-hmm, about like mm-hmm. filling into being not being an expert but filling in the role of an expert and actually feeling like stable and wanting to be in a place because i think for the last however many years my prosperity magics have always been like need to get to stable job let's <laughs> you know pandemic then job sucked and you know all those things but i've had a good year in a good job and want to stay here a while start phd so it's been a lot of like job confidence this year i'm like i want my jar to be internally prosperous Mm -hmm. (laughs) not necessarily externally prosperous because i think i'm solidly externally prosperous and i don't want to ask for more than i need (laughs) that's fair that's fair yeah, I'm a big believer in that, which I guess we'll talk about in the episode because that, that kind of connects to what we were going to talk about today. Yeah, I mean, that's a good segue into what we're talking about, which is pagan morality. And season five. Yes. Welcome to season five, folks. Uh, I guess we should give like a little bit of overarching. So for season five, um, much like we talked about in our season finale, uh, we kind of want to go... In- uh, not back to basics as in like simple, but back to like actually talking about, and we did it in season four too, but talking about like our practice in everyday life, some of the things that we're just chilling with, uh, things we're working on, things that are happening like in our everyday magical life, of which our premiere episode, we wanted to talk about morality uh, only because it's. One, a hot topic, it seems like, with everything that's happening in the world. But two, 
uh, it really is for me at least a solid basis for how I include faith into my life. Like it is in essence for me, a part of my main morality system of, do I feel like I'm doing good in the world is a lot based on my faith and how my faith shows up in my life. So thought it'd be a good first episode spot. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you and how that sort of plays out in my life too. And I think one of the things that we can address here today is both the theory of morality mm -hmm. within paganism, but also how we let it play out in our lives and practices yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. Ah, uh, morals. Um, let me break out my philosophy textbook. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, I do want to Google. I'm trying to think who is the like one of the big thinkers of morality. My brain says Heigl, but I don't think that's him. Uh, moral, philosophy, Google, ethics. Yes. Who is the father of ethics? And I say father because it's most likely going to be a man. Sad face. Oh, it's our classics, our Stoics. <laughs> yep. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Yeah, for those of us who inherited um, primarily European forms of philosophy, it yep. generally goes back to early Greek. Um, and fun fact, those people were pagan. Uh, yeah, so this connects. Look at us making connections. Hellenistic pagans. Yeah, it's it's interesting how those pagan philosophers were preserved as these basics of philosophical thought within a Abrahamic society. Yeah. Although I would say from my very limited knowledge of those philosophies, they tend to be, um, or at least it seems like from a modern perspective, they th those philosophers, mean their piety was not the same necessarily as what we expect it to be or or we oh, assume to be 100 percent. like if we are if we're starting really there at the beginning you know um ancient greek philosophy would have looked at a lot of what just religion looks at of why is it that the world is the way it is in front of me and especially since there's no main like church like the catholic church doesn't exist Yet there is no like hugely organized religion besides, you know, your local community, which if you live in Athens or, you know, a major, major area might be a little bit more organized than not. But, you know, there's not a major organized religion. So moral philosophy is really just what is the world in front of me? What are the morals and values that guide my life? You know, why is it that I feel bad? harming someone else why is it that i derive pleasure from gluttony uh you know the the thinkers of that time are just like why is it that humans do what they do at the times that they do it and using whatever's in front of them which religion was one thing you know they were i say quote-unquote religious but not in a modern sense they would just use mythos and stories around them to try to have that conversation about why we do what we do Right. And to find, I think, and this goes for a lot of people, I think to find a reason why we act the way we act 
or yep. we support the things that we do, we mm-hmm. justify them. And I think that's a good way of kind of framing this conversation is what are the reasons we do the things we do? Yes. Because ours is not a dualistic or punitive theology. Mm-hmm. Um, we There is no cosmic end-of-life punishment system yep. within what we believe. And so we can't justify or understand our actions on the basis of reward and punishment, but rather upon values and beliefs. Um, yes, 100%. I should actually like point out, so um, I forgot that the Stoics were people, like they were a group of thinkers, but Stoicism is the belief of self-control as the means of overcoming destructive emotions. A very, the power is within yourself because faith wasn't about some moral imperative to do good because, you know, the paradise was at the end of the road for doing good. It was, how do I maybe not harm myself and what types of personal and communal things help with that (laughs) endeavor? Right. (laughs) And the idea, the idea behind that stoicism is also that the reward is living a good life. And overcoming destructive. So like, it's not even the living a good life. It's the absence of bad things happening to you. If like nothing bad happens in your life in a stoic size, that means you have the self-control to ignore the, you know, emotional drive to stab someone that makes you annoyed (laughs) so that you don't go to jail and you don't, you know, live that life. (laughs) That's all it is. And it's interesting like, I mean, especially if we put into context that, yeah, they would be what we as modern pagans would view as, like, pagan. Um, it starts to track with how, at least for me, how a lot of the faiths and the mythos construct moral imperatives. You know, like, why, mm-hmm. even if you look at the Havamal, why it, why it feels so simplistic of, you know, do good onto people because they do good onto you. Make sure that you're smart enough not to put all of your eggs into someone else's basket because when the basket breaks, you have no one to blame but yourself. Be wary, you know, feed strangers meals uh, because you yourself will be a stranger one day. You know, all those things feel simplistic, but it's because they kind of come from that same cookie cutter of values lead us to live uh, values lead us to live solid stable lives if it points towards stability and it points towards happiness and leads us away from bad things happening in our life that's the choice you make as simple as that mm-hmm. yeah and i i think that you'll find across the world that humans develop these systems of pro-social values. Like there's no society that's bereft of a set of values and beliefs that create what's viewed as moral behaviors, what's viewed as socially acceptable behaviors. Exactly. Global nine, Hammurabi's code. (laughs) And humans have been wrestling with this for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So, 
there's nothing new. And considering the fact that it's been a topic of argument, debate, and conversation for thousands of years, I think it's safe to say that no one's come to a conclusive universal truth. Rather, we just keep trying to figure it out as we go. 100%. Like, we... In GMAP classes, we talk about it all the time about like law and order is really bad at holding the complexities and the nuance of large groups of people because everybody has a different opinion on everything, even what we would consider the most basic of moral values, like do not kill. Everyone's going to have a gray area about what that means. Some people it's, you know, do not kill except, you know, other murderers. Some people do not kill except people who threaten you. Do not kill except, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and as societies, yeah, try to find the, the middle consensus, the like what makes sense to the most amount of people possible so that we are not be riddled with lawlessness and war um but uh <laughs> yeah getting a bunch of people in a room is really hard to get group consensus about especially when you have nation states now of billions of people mm -hmm. <laughs> and now global society where we're trying to get global consensus on things yeah it's it's a real <laughs> difficult thing to to manage and I would say that within paganism, you have such a diversity of belief within such even a small group that mm -hmm. it's hard to reach a, a consensus about it. You rather have to find multiple approaches. Yeah. Like, um, what? I don't know if we talked about this on the episode. If we haven't, or if we hit a, a secret moment, that's perfectly fine. But uh, the group you're a part of, Colin, what would you say is there like a moral code if they have one so within like adf there are five or sorry not five nine um primary values mm -hmm. wisdom piety vision courage integrity perseverance hospitality moderation and fertility and those values inform how you can sort of move through your path they're not meant to be like moral dictates, but rather values that inspire you to move forward in the best way possible. So I interpret these in my own way, but if you ask someone else who went through the program, they might interpret them differently. Uh, I think the ones that I struggle with most are um, hospitality and courage because the world is scary and it's hard to engage with people that you don't like. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they all these values also push me to try to challenge myself to be better mm -hmm. and i think that's the point yeah even the stoics would say again it's the it's building the path for the self-control to get past the negative experiences the things that harm you lead you away from stability happiness and pleasure so because and i think that's well, especially when I think of modern pagans, and especially living in a monotheistic or Abrahamic-dominated world, and especially a, I, I think we can name it, a Christian-dominated world, um, it can be really hard because the framework that many of us have either grown up with or had to hear about all the time, especially living in the United States, is the, like... Um, 
moral uh uh what would what would we call it the moral measurement like a moral measurement system like a, a moral judgment system that, mm -hmm. yeah at living in a moral judgment system where moving away from the target is seen as bad and you're shamed for doesn't necessarily motivate one to strive very hard to live out the teachings of jesus especially when you see the leaders of said faith doing the opposite in many different ways but at their core oh and i lost my train of thought there for a minute and seeing pagans often try to replicate that like replicate vision statements and value systems and moral systems within their groups their temples their covens whatever that just replicate that like push you forward through fear and through not wanting to do the bad thing rather than what at least from your description of it what adf does of like here are some things let them inspire you to be better that's it yeah, a desire to do better, I would say, is um, a good, I think, personally, cornerstone for setting up a pagan morality, uh, because we are imperfect. We are um, different. All of us are different. Yes. And Yes. <laughs> and instead of being afraid of failure or being afraid of being judged i would prefer myself to be motivated to do better because it it has good results um it has better yeah. results exactly i think yeah that's a really good basis and i think what has been so fulfilling about walking this path is while it wasn't always clear at different moments overall there has been a strong through thread of exactly that thing happening uh if you just try to plug forward as a genuinely and authentically good person no matter if you make mistakes as long as you are trying to aim towards being and we can talk about what does it mean to be a good person later but as long as you're trying to plug away forward at that good things happen to you it's not not based on a meritocracy system but just like Good, good things happen to good people. We have Uther for a reason, or karmic justice. If uh, you know, if you aren't, if you don't use Uther, it's like good things happen to good people because I don't know, good attracts good, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and that feels like such a strong, a much stronger motivating factor, a one that is less abrasive, a one that is less shameful a one that is less like oh my god the the morality of the world rests upon my shoulders and instead is like you just try to make the best choices with what you got and you hope it works out and even the gods struggle with that and all the mythos at least the ones that i use reflect that of gods making mistakes and sometimes getting the universe smacking them across the face but that the ones the story is about people who just try to do good. Good things tend to happen to them. Not all at once. Sometimes they struggle, but like overall, good solid life, which is like nice, simple, mm -hmm. relaxing, <laughs> not world ending, not world fearful, just there. Failures are not cataclysmic. Yes. And successes are not transcendent either. 
they are simply a part of life. And I think that is an important distinction to make. Yes. I have met so many people who get into witchcraft, pagan, Wiccan, whatever, whatever system they are, a lot because they were sold usually through a book that they got off Amazon or from their, you know, random new age shop that tried to sell them on this, you know, transcendent experience of this faith work. And like some people find transcendent experience great for them, but like that they're going to get a transcendent experience because they bought the right oils and they do the right things and they worship the right deities that they're going to get some transcendent third eye opening. And I'm sorry, babes. Uh, I don't know if 2024 is about hard truths, but this one hard truth, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> no. I mean, one, one, another piece of the morality that I think we need to cultivate, and I've been guilty of this in the past as well, is mm-hmm. I think because often pagans feel they're very different and our experiences of belief and experiences of spirituality are so different that there's a real temptation to feel special all the Mm. time Mm. and that can be really good for your self-worth and to feel special is not a bad thing but i think people start to make exceptions of virtue because they are special and that doesn't just go for pagans i think that's anyone who thinks they're religiously blessed in a special way start to make virtue exceptions and that is another problem that i think happens yes you think you are if you think you are chosen then it gives you a license to get away with things and that's not it should actually make life probably harder morally because if you are chosen then you have a higher standard to be held to yes say it louder That's why some people, because even like um, thinking also just like about a communal sense of morality, I, I have met or seen or interacted with various magical folks, because I, I will only speak for my experience of like pagan folks, because that's what our podcast kind of focuses on, who sometimes seek to eject themselves from like the societal conversation in a similar way. Of they feel that they are special and above or beyond. Like, uh, they have a draw, even to the point of like, I have seen people kind of take the narrative of the witch in the woods as like a free pass because they're like, I just want to leave society and I want to leave it behind and go live out in the woods and cultivate mushrooms. But like, as an escapist, as an escapist mentality, not as a, oh, this just happens to be where my path is taking me mentality. And it sometimes frustrates me because I'm like, even as a witch in the woods, even as, you know, the crone in the corner, whatever you want to call it, whatever, whatever archetype you're referring to, you still in some way have to interact with the world around you, albeit maybe it's less frequently if you're that far out into the middle of nowhere off the grid. But like, you can't use your faith and your specialness as a way to just like eject yourself from the world around you. That's just not, that's also just like that, how it works. So like, I, like when we talk about interfaith, both pagans are shunned from interfaith spaces and we're not necessarily seen as real enough to be having interfaith conversations. But I also see pagans just fully ignoring offers of invitation to be in interfaith spaces 
or saying it's not for them or that's not what they're here to do as if like their faith is like this fun hobby that they do on the side and not about the broader world mm -hmm. which i think is a good segue is we're, we were hitting on these like i think almost re uh, like obligations yeah we're, hit we're hitting on these these things that rather than the things we're not supposed to do we're talking yes. about things we're <laughs> supposed to do so i think it'd be useful for us and for our listeners if we were to just go back and forth and try to figure out what are those things we're supposed to do, at least between you and me, like what, yeah. is the, what do you feel like that would be? So like the first thing I heard that we've kind of been talking about is responsibility. Yep. And that responsibility is an obligation to ourselves and to others um, to act in a way that is honorable and ethical. And that may look slightly different for different people, but yeah. we can't, we can't escape that responsibility to act with others either and and in practice i would say that's setting boundaries protecting oh, yes. yourself mm -hmm. but also the responsibility to engage in the work of community the responsibility to um be true to our religious paths our religious values and act them in the wider world it's not something that it can be just hidden in the corner if you truly are living your faith then it should affect how you approach the wider world and be an active part of your interaction with the wider world. Yep. Yeah. And I would agree with that. I think responsibility is a pretty solid cornerstone value that both I hold just as a personal person, but I think one that is reflected in mythos and organized faiths. I think every faith has some level of responsibility to self and to community um, I even would add in, um, I think we have a responsibility to, and again, a lot of this is nuanced, but as often as we can protect the sanctity of just human life, of mm -hmm. every life is worthy of living its course as best as we can make that, you know, obviously there's a lot of nuance and personal safeties and safety and all that, but like every life is worthy of living, regardless if you agree with it or not as long as it's not harming you personally. And when I say harm, I mean harm, like physical violence or physical safety or life safety, but like every life is worth living. I think that should be a core responsible value that we protect. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm hearing responsibility, recognition of like the holiness of life. Yeah, I guess that's a better word for it. I think moving on to a second value is recognition of that sanctity of life. Yeah. I would say also um, acting with honor um, because, because there's not a, within our practice, there's not like a forgiveness structure, i.e. I do something bad or I am inherently bad and I ask for forgiveness. I say it's rather about acting with integrity mm -hmm. um, being as honest as you can, mm -hmm. honoring your agreements to the best of your ability, um, delivering on promises to others as well as to yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and that includes, and especially God, spirits, other beings. Um, and trying to support others in doing so. I think that's another part of honor. I re-listened to our Sumble podcast, and that really brought back to me this idea of 
the communal responsibility, like our, our lack of honor reflects on those who associate with us Yep. or our, our, our holding up of honor affects those that are, that are in community with us. So that's another part of that value. Yeah. I 100% agree. I think another value, um, Maybe this is just a me thing, but I think this is reflected at least in the part of my fate that I engage with. I think there's a a a, a moral a moral imperative to stay. Uh, I I can't describe it any better than like curious about the world. Mm -hmm. That we have a moral obligation. I don't know if I put it in the obligation category, but there's like a moral imperative to like want to. It, along the lines of engaging with other people, but want to like learn and discover and much like our philosophers of past and even of present, like figure out how the world works. Like there's always a new thing, a new stone to over a new stone to turn, a new thing to learn, a new practice to to discover. Um, that we, but we they, we have like a moral obligation to to stay curious uh, because <laughs> ignorance is is the kiss of death in many ways. <laughs> mm -hmm. I I would say for me personally, piety mm -hmm. is part of my value system. So the the act of being loyal to my community, being loyal to my gods. Um, not necessarily in a, in a zealot type of way, uh, but in a way that is, I'm taking on the responsibility of worship. I'm taking on these relationships and I'm making sure that they are maintained pos as positively as I can. Yeah. And that, that piety becomes a way of life because I've realized recently that when I have my moments of being down or feeling unappreciated or feeling not connected to my religion, it's not that my belief in these, in the deities or the work that I'm doing or the path that I've chosen is gone. It's that for whatever practical reason, I'm just not engaging with it in a fulfilling way. So the way of life isn't threatened. It's a matter of finding the next step forward. Mm -hmm. I believe in what I'm doing. I just need to feel it again. Yeah. Hmm. I'm trying to think if I have. Oh, I mean, um, I don't know if we mentioned this. If it, if it's a repeat, I apologize to our listeners for a repeat. I I, I think there is a, a moral obligation to be in service to others and ourselves um a lot it encompasses piety but i think we owe it i think on some level we do owe it to our fellow person to like do things that help others as often as we can not in like a go seek out how to help others all the time but in a you're walking by someone and you do happen to have extra cash that you can spare or extra food that you can spare give it forward you do have the opportunity to volunteer because you have some downtime and you don't really know what to do with your time go volunteer 
a friend's in need and you really you have the time to help them like i think there's a moral obligation that when we are called to duty maybe this is it when we are called to duty that we act in kind when the world mm -hmm. gives us the opportunity to help someone we don't just ignore it mm -hmm. i think that comes along with that hospitality piece yeah one of one of those things that you'll find our ant pagan ancestors were really big about was that hospitality showing compassion to others um honoring the idea of peace between people within certain spaces yep. um so like on the battlefield maybe not but at home definitely uh to understand the social contract and reciprocity that comes with that mm -hmm. and that obligation to take care of one another that's that i see is the hospitality piece yep 100 percent and it's interesting if you look at like Slavic and Norse, violating hospitality um, would probably be the biggest, th the closest thing to like what we would consider a sin, a religious, yeah. uh, a religious crime would mm -hmm. be to fail at hospitality. And I think it's an important one. I think like we can't diagnose the world's problems, but I can I can say I think one thing I have noticed with working with college students who perpetually stay the same age as i get older um i think it's a thing maybe and yeah, it's probably just this time in the world but um i've noticed people struggle with that even more so than struggling with their like larger moral obligations or larger moral imperatives or larger like moral questions they sometimes struggle with here a per here's a person in front of me how do i show them hospitality and I, and and I admit that like I struggle with that too. Like there are times when it's mm -hmm. like, oh, like you even mentioned it. Like how do I interact with a person I don't like, don't agree with, maybe even fundamentally disagree with? How do I still show them compassion at the same time as holding my boundaries? Even to the like this is the big question that everyone has like uh because people always will say you know we can agree to disagree except in 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 um in matters of like human dignity and that's a great compass but like how do you actually do that uh because if someone's in front of you spouting something about how this group of people or that group of people um shouldn't exist or whatever whatever it is that th we are doing how do you enter how do you still have to sit there and say that this person probably like deserves to have a life you know like it's a real struggle to have that level of hospitality and i don't think there's a good answer to it i think everyone's going to have a different answer to it and a different way that they would go about doing that but yeah hospitality is one of those it's it's a hard value to live i think even our ancestors i don't think we should paint our ancestors with some rosy glasses of like they were the most hospitable people in the world i'm sure the annoying person in the village still got smacked upside the head and treated badly even though we have this like hospitality mindset i'm sure it wasn't it was hard to live that value even then but uh I don't see people wanting to actually contend with that a lot and like actually work through like what it means to hold true that every life is worth living and everybody deserves a level of hospitality. Always. I think, 
<laughs> I think one of the things that we have to contend with is this linkage between um, worthiness and how much we like someone. Um, that part. <laughs> so I am, the way I approach it is that if someone has broken frith with me by being um, hateful, actively like problematic and hurtful, then I'm going to deny them my company mm -hmm. um, because it, it's a problem for me. Um, but I don't question their worthiness to be human, to to live, to have the basic necessities of life. And I think that's a matter of just being consistent in what you believe the world should look like. Yep. For me, I believe in, you know, universal food, universal housing, you know, the basic needs of life being provided for, for all human beings, whether or not it's achievable, it's at least what I want to see out of the world. And being, if I am consistent in my beliefs, then I need to recognize their worth, even though I don't want to spend my time with them. Um, yep. And if they actively, if they act against me, I'm well within my rights in my pagan morality. Um, like in the Havamal, you know, repay laughter with laughter, repay treachery with treachery. I'm within my rights to defend myself. I'm within my rights to respond. But it's never a question of, are they worthy to be human or worthy to have the basic necessities of life, but rather, what is the situation I have to deal with? If they're trying to kill me and my only way out is to kill them, then I value my life enough to say I'm willing to defend it. But I don't take the time out of my day to try to end theirs if there's no threat to me. Yes. Which brings me to, I think, uh, at least for me, this is a nice segue into, because those are our values, and I think we hit upon a lot of them. Um, how do you actually go about doing that in, in everyday life? Because I can, uh, a really poignant example is things that are going on in the, wor in the world now. One of the things I have struggled with of being like uh, working in these highly social spaces on a college campus where every time is a, so every day is a social justice issue and every, every mm -hmm. waking moment is some social imperative microcosm of the world the world is crumbling college students space the one thing i have always struggled with is i get very frustrated when people won't settle on some of those like unique principles both sides will be like life is sacred and we must protect life but like we'll refuse to sit down with each other to like have some of these conversations and we'll even like i don't want to say attack people who are maybe at the center of the issue but like who um yeah well, i'm just gonna say it. i'm not gonna tiptoe around it israel or gaza we're gonna <laughs> for me um i have struggled with that issue not personally i have a pretty solid moral idea of where i stand on the issue but i have struggled to have conversations with people because they will paint it as such a black and white you're for one side or the other moment where i'm like but the moral imperative like the moral compass in me is like human life is sacred we must protect everybody that is in the space of physical harm and then they'll be like well you won't choose a side therefore you are morally wrong so like but i think the next segment is like how do you actually go about living your lives when that's what oftentimes you're confronted with 
I is think people who up, <laughs> are going to fight you on every 30 seconds. I think that brings up two other values that we didn't really mention, but I think that are really important and are part of this conversation is consent and accountability. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm sure we'll get deeper into those, but let's use like this, the, the Israel Hamas conflict from a pagan perspective as like a, as like a little, you know, personal barometer here. So for me, the way I work it out is in my own head, at least Yeah. is, is that I see human lives being ruined and or taken yep. for political and ideological goals. Yep. And there is an imperative to end the harm as best we can in the immediate, which is that very GMAP approach, mm -hmm. which is, you know, maybe stop people from killing each other and work the rest out afterwards. Um, but also... I'm beginning to think that I'm more interested in, I think, that accountability than I am yeah. in justice. Because justice has this very cosmic hashtag that comes along with it. <laughs> yes. And I'm beginning to think that because there's so many different paths, so many different ways to worry about it, even the gods can't agree on mm -hmm. what justice looks like, that maybe justice isn't the way, but rather we hold the specific perpetrators of specific acts accountable without making it a identitarian universal issue. Because then you ask, because everyone has such intersectional identities, which identity is the culpable one? So like, is being Israeli the culpable one? Is being Palestinian? Is it being Muslim? Is it being Jewish? Is it because they're not the same thing? You can't conflate all those, those same things and so at what point does that, um, do, do, what do you pick? Rather than, rather than trying to pick an identity that is at fault, why not pick specific actions that are at fault and move on from there? Which in a, I think, in a traditional society is more the approach because, you know, if everyone's in the town, you've all kind of gotten to know each other, you all sort of know each other lifelong, then it's your specific action that's at play here. Yep. Uh, I mean, not always. People do like to play identity politics, and I think that's been a human problem since the get-go. Oh, 100%. But this, th this case especially, it's wrapped up in so many different identitarian crises um, that it makes it difficult because it's a very char ideologically charged conflict in a very ideologically charged part of the world. And I think it's harder for you and I, because we're part of a religion that doesn't see that particular bit of land as any more special than any other particular mm -hmm. bit of land. And so the loyalty or holiness felt, the crisis felt there is not as strong. I'd say for me personally, I see Ukraine, the land of Ukraine, as more inherently sacred because my family is from a part of Ukraine, Poland, mm -hmm. like it was split between the two in the old days. Yep. Then the, the Palestine, Israel, Jerusalem, like the at least three major world religions are super, super duper about that space. But for me on a religious level, it means nothing. It means nothing at all. It's land yep. and, and therefore has some magic to it. 
Yep. But it's not, it's not a crisis for me. It's a crisis of humanitarianism. It's a crisis of nationhood and nation states and identity politics, but it's not a religious crisis for me. And I think that changes how I look at it. Yes. And I think like, there's definitely a lot of layers there um, that I think speak to the complicated ways that identities play out. And uh, it's keeping it, (laughs) instead of getting into the GMAP conversation of that conflict or of (laughs) Ukraine and Russia conflict, um, like when I think about my values, I think a lot about, it's going to sound weird, but I think a lot about staying in my value lane of mm-hmm. like when it comes to conflicts like that what i will add to them is what makes sense in my life as someone living in the united states as someone being an american citizen as someone who is pagan as someone who's on this side of the globe i can even put it at i will only interject what makes sense to me and mm-hmm. so like for that conflict it's the gmap perspective that's all i can add to that because like you i agree with you i have no Personal, ancestral, religious, I got nothing. I got no stake in that game. So the only thing I want to add is like I have a moral obligation that human life is sacred. So I would like less people to die on any side. I would like people just to not die and not be starved and not be in ab- uh, abject fear day in and day out. I just want that to stop. Mm-hmm. But that's all I'm going to add because that's the only moral thing that gives me connection to the conflict and i sometimes get frustrated uh because that's not exactly how others want to play in this like i think you said the cosmic thing about justice is and the specialness is that sometimes we will believe that our system of justice is the best system of justice religiously socially whatever you want to name it as and people will constantly be be trying to say like this is what should be done because this is just how i know it should be done and like Speaking of truth, everyone's opinion matters, but I I do think there is something to be said about even like the moral obligation to let conflicts between groups as much as it cannot lead to human harm, but let them play out as they need to. That sounds weird, but um, I think there's like a level of unless it is violating or unless it is getting in the way of some part of my moral obligations, again, it's the human life sanctity. I want that to stop, but past that, I don't know how to solve the problem. Two-state solution, no-state solution, small communities, I don't know, humanitarian UN zone. I don't, there's no answer that I can come up with because I don't have skin in the game. I have a moral obligation in this game beyond the sanctity of human life. Yeah, and and I think another downside to looking at it as justice big J um, is that we tend to do that without examining our loyalties and how your loyalties and therefore if you want to call it bias so my loyalty is first to like i try to be really clear to myself about where my loyalties lie my friends my family my religion um my identity groups like i have natural and conscious or unconscious loyalties to those groups and those will color how I see justice. Yeah. Because for me, I don't I don't see how one conflict takes precedence over another un- unless like I have, like you said, skin in the game. So from my perspective, I don't 
I see Israel Gaza situation, um, Israel Palestine, as being a like you said a humanitarian sacredness of life issue, but I don't see it as inherently more or less important than Ukraine, South Sudan, uh, Myanmar, Sri Lanka, Afghanistan. There are so many problems, so many horrible situations in the world. Um, the fact that we tend to media blast one at a time, I don't think yeah. represents any inherent value, uh, except for where your loyalties lie. And yep. being clear about where your loyalties lie is, I, th I think, a big part of a pagan morality from my perspective. Yeah. Then there wouldn't be, because I think one, one diff another difficulty I sometimes have with like what gets in the way of me living my values is we often don't know the value systems of other people. And I think it's important to be clear, especially when you get into really complicated world or just complicated conflicts, even interpersonally complicated conflicts of it can go a long way to just sometimes state your values and what they mean to you. And what you're not going to bend on and what you might bend on and what's like, yeah, free. It's not a, a value system for me. So we can fully talk about that so that everybody kind of knows where they're standing. Communication. It all comes back to communication somehow sometimes. Uh, communication is really key in living your values. How do you communicate the boundaries of your values? How do you communicate the boundaries of your morality? How that lives in your life? What are good things? What are bad things? What are negotiable things? All those pieces communicate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's part of that honesty and integrity bit i think yeah and and holding yourself accountable uh and, and that accountability account yeah that accountability <laughs> piece is holding yourself and others accountable i don't think it has to be about again that big j justice but more about actions and consequences mm -hmm. and and that's a big part of pagan moralities that I have seen and learned about and developed for myself is that there's no such thing as sin, but there yeah. are actions, actions have consequences. If you violate an oath, that has a consequence. If you build a positive relationship, there's a consequence. And they're, you know, harmful or helpful on the basis of what you put in will create something else. Yep. And that's that that's that fate aspect, that earther you were talking about. Other. There are consequences there are consequences to all actions and they affect us and uh, ourselves and others. Yeah, I was actually talking about that with a friend of mine of there is it can feel like the world is super big and super scary that like is life laid out for me and I'm just following on my little magnetic track, following the decisions and stuff that were made for me or that have been described through time. And I don't know if this is everybody's worldview, but I think one of the things I love about my worldview and the worldview that I am provided by my faiths, and I'll specifically use the Norns, the Nornier, and even the Zoira a little bit, is not that life is prescriptive, you can you have free will to do whatever you want. It's just all the decisions you have made, will make, and and might make are kind of known and unknown all at the same time. The future sister knows what you have done because she's living in the future. So it's not like life was paved out for you. It's just from her perspective, the decisions have already been made. So she's seeing what you've done. 
you can still freely choose and she'll just always see what you have done. And the same thing for the past sister, always see what has happened. It's not that that was laid out in stone. It's just, that's what got carved into stone. So this like, how do we live out our moral values? Like uh, there, there is no cosmic good or wrong. It's really, it's exactly what you said. It's about every decision you make will affect the, the tapestry the stone like the root system however you imagine your worldview it will affect it both in the way of it will happen and in the way of you can always change it there is never a moment where life really is set in stone at least for my worldview until you're dead because then at that point your life story has truly been fully written but every time from birth till death you are constantly writing, rewriting, and overwriting, and ad-libbing your story. Yeah, and there are limitations in so much as we're all handed a history, a background, mm -hmm. condition, conditions. It's that's what the 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 goddess, the the fake goddesses, give to us when we're born. Yep, they set down for us those conditions that were placed on our life from our birth that we have no control over. That's why astrology works. There are conditions to our life that we don't control, but within the bumpers of those conditions, we make choices. Mm -hmm. And those choices are ours. And we live with the consequences of them. And they may not always be the, you may not always have the best options, but you have choices. Yep. Yeah, it really goes back to the the Stoics. I don't want to say the Stoics are right because they had a, a much simpler worldview without knowing all the science and geopolitics around them. And the world was a lot smaller at that time because they didn't know about some of the rest of the world mm -hmm. <laughs> even existing. Um, but the Stoics did have a point of you do with the best of what you have in front of you and you always try to make the decision that like maximizes not experiencing negative things. And you just do the best with what's in front of you. And that's a pretty solid moral compass. Be informed. Try to know the most about what you can, but just make decisions with the best information possible and trust that it won't always work out, but that if you are leading strongly in your values and living the life that you want to live based on whatever system is given to you, you write or whatever, there you go. That's how you live a, mm -hmm. a moral life. <laughs> yeah. It sounds so and, simple when you say it on a podcast, but tomorrow yeah. I'm going to be confronted with something and I'm going to be like, oh, it's so hard. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, that's just human condition, I think. <laughs> the Philosophers the, got it easy. They just have to say it's easy. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. And that's the practical side is applying it requires effort but also <laughs> like you're gonna fail sometimes mm -hmm. the science of life you gotta you can you can science your way through philosophy but you have to engineer your way through life <laughs> yeah it's you're seeking solutions to problems no one has ever found lasting solutions to yeah, so you make do with what you got. You make do. And one of those things that I think is helpful is really thinking about consent, like we 
like we said, in terms of allowing others to make those choices within their own conditions, within that fate, like giving people the ability to make their own decisions. And part of that is not imposing your will on them mm-hmm. as much as you can. Um, and that can get complicated because then you think about, well, then how do we hold others accountable? And I don't have an easy answer for that. It's Nope. I don't either. <laughs> I don't think there is. I don't think that's the point of life sometimes is there's no easy answer to things because if there was, we'd have figured it out. Right. And one thing I like to keep in mind is that the gods struggle with this. They're bound to fate as much as we are. Yep. So even even the most conceivably powerful beings in the universe that humans are aware of are no better off than we are in that regard. Their areas of influence, the, what they can do on a whim, is way greater than what humans can do. Yeah, yeah. But they're given choices and conditions and ultimately the binding of fate everything is bound by fate it's impersonal and universal and um all all writing it, it it's fascinating yeah that's why i love the story of ragnarok it's not that it's an inescapable fate it's not that odin couldn't get himself out of ragnarok it's that just by design every choice every way that he made decisions led to Ragnarok. There was no unwriting of it unless there was some other option. Because again, it wasn't that he was locked into the fate. It's just every time he made a decision, it just always pointed that way. And it's just how it happened. Maybe there's a story somewhere where Odin makes it out of Ragnarok and does not initiate Ragnarok. Maybe there's somewhere there where that's written and there is some actual memory that somebody has faith-wise of Odin escaping Ragnarok. But it wasn't like he was trapped in it. He had full agency to figure out how to get out of Ragnarok. It's just he didn't. And that's sometimes how life works. Mm-hmm. And that's another example of do, making the best choices available, even if they're not good, and living with the consequences of your actions. Tyr made a choice that to betray a friend out of loyalty to his people. And that choice led towards Ragnarok rather than away from it. Yep. Loki made choices Mm -hmm. about loyalty to family Mm -hmm. with the consequences of Ragnarok. (laughs) Yeah. So there's, um, there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of value (laughs) in that. And I really, I guess what I don't want to come out of this episode is a feeling of, it doesn't matter. Nihilism. <laughs> I don't want it to be nihilism. I also don't want it no, to I be a, a feeling of having figured it out or being better than mm-hmm. someone else, but rather, I think, refining it more. Because the one thing that I'm taking away from our conversation that's really huge is maybe to recharacterize what I want to do with a hospitality approach rather than a justice one. Yeah. Like, how does that change it? How does that make it better? Is it effective? I want to see how that works. Yeah, and I think for me, the thing I take out of 
our conversation is that I want to be able to go to bed every night or at the end of my days when I am staring down hell. <laughs> you know, and the glory that I go out in battle, I'm not going to Valhalla. I too want a casual hell existence. I don't need Valhalla. That's a lot. <laughs> um, chilling, chilling with people is is the more ideal than Valhalla. But... Exactly. But when I'm at that point, I just want to feel okay with my decisions. Mm -hmm. That's it. Like for me, uh, what I take out of this conversation, it's like if there's a little bit of nihilism of like nothing matters, but then there's a little bit of like, oh, everything will work out in the end because somewhere in the middle of the two extremes of like sheer optimism and sheer nihilism is the real life experience of you just do the best with what you have in front of you and you should on some way feel okay with your decisions doesn't mean they feel great doesn't mean you're not anxious about it doesn't mean oh my god glorious i made the right choice but that you just feel okay at the end of the day and that's it <laughs> and that maybe together as people if we all feel kind of okay with our decisions it'll zero sum out to be like okay life <laughs> mm -hmm. and like middle ground and and all all of that that it yeah that that's what i got out of it because yeah i also don't want i hope listeners aren't taking like nothing matters and fate is fate or you're better than everyone it's like no your compass is your compass try to live it as best as you can but understand that your compass and everyone else's compass on some way have to live together and so sometimes that means compromises sometimes that means fighting to the bitter death for your values it all depends on what you want to make as the decision in the moment that's it yeah ultimately these are all subject to change like over the course of a lifetime <laughs> over the course of a season season yeah. five we might change a hundred times that's the, the just the dynamism of a human life is and, and something that you can see across our uh our podcast is our opinions have changed mm -hmm. and that's okay i kind of like having a log of my my opinion changing and developing it's it's nice <laughs> there it is yeah so season five trying to find the practicality in all of this because this was a very philosophy heavy episode but we'll be back to bring it home at some point <laughs> throughout the season of like oh yeah that big moral question we asked at the beginning of the season here's a spell for that <laughs> yeah i mean if we figure it out that'd be cool i don't have high hopes for it but you know if we find it some sort of a philosophical enlightenment cool, <laughs> cool beans i'll take it uh, write it down quick before somehow it's smited out of our hands because we open the secret to the universe and then we you know enter that plane of you won the game so you get to exit <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> also i think the idea of a lasting solution is silly because the world is constantly changing a solution that works in one place at one time will eventually fail to work somewhere else at a different time. So simple, yeah. So complicated. <laughs> yeah. Everything and everything all at once. So any final words about our sort of tangent <laughs> through no, I stumble if, through philosophy. If I add more words, it just makes it more complicated. So I'm I'm gonna leave this Rubicon uh where it is. Yeah, no fair. I I think I'll join you on that one. <laughs>
And eventually I'll put, I, we, I'm not even sure if put foot in mouth somewhere. I don't want to put more feet in mouth. <laughs> Fair enough. So I will say thank you folks for joining us for season five. We have many great episodes ahead of us. I'm sure. <laughs> I think so. I'm always happy with what we create. It's always nervous to do it, but at the end, I'm always mm-hmm. like, we did cool stuff. But next episode we should probably try to focus on something more hands-on. Yes. I, I plan on pulling these threads into practical things that I guess you can do in everyday life or where it shows up in some of our practices. Absolutely. So I will say skull. And I will say ahoy. And we will see you next time. On the, the Crohn's porch. porch. Yeah, there we Good go. Enough. It was like an echo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right.